lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. I love that. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Sometimes we forget, sometimes we claim things as our own and, and we forget that everything from um, our cell phone to, to our food, to our homes, to our cars, we've gotten into this um, language where we call it mine, when really we have no right to even use those words. Everything is the Lord's and he's given us so many blessings and he's so holy and so worthy to be praised. So let's sing that again tonight. Just remembering that we belong to God, not just our possessions, but us too. That everything is His. Let's sing. We stand and lift up our hands. We stand and lift up our hands. We bow down. We bow down and I worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He. possessions, God, our money, um, God, to our very beings, Lord, we are yours. We are your creation. You made us, God. Help us not forget that. You are so big and vast and beyond all of our comprehension, Lord, but yet you say that we can draw near to you. You are not too far off from us, God. Lord, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you um, for never leaving us, Lord, or forsaking us. And thank you more than anything that you are holy 
And because of your holiness, Lord, you never change. You are always good to us. Lord, you forgive us when we don't deserve it, Lord. And you heal us, Lord, from physical ailments, Lord, to the diseases of our souls sometimes, God. Thank you, God, for being so good, for being so big, Lord, but yet for drawing near to people like us. We love you and we worship you tonight.
you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever those who are far from you will perish you destroy all who are unfaithful to you but as for me it is good to be near God I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your deeds
Compassion, the kindness of a savior.
Genesis. How are you? Good. It's always kind of awkward for me when I ask how you all are doing and no one ever tells me except the front row. So how's everyone doing? Can always tell my sister's voice out there. Krista, I'm well. Thank you so much for asking. I appreciate that. Uh, hey, welcome to Genesis. And uh, as Lindsay just prayed, uh, I realize it is uh, snowing and there's like 36 inches coming our way, and I just did get a phone call, and all schools have been canceled, and all work is canceled tomorrow, so there is no need to worry about how late uh, we are hanging out here tonight. So, um, hey, a couple of things before uh, we jump in. Uh, I don't know if you noticed when you came in, uh, we have uh, a lot of our high school students here tonight, and over the weekend, uh, they did a... A uh, crazy thing, they fasted for the better part of two days, and part of what they were doing that for was to raise money for uh, just an incredible organization um, uh, called World Vision, uh, which is really trying to uh, say something and do something uh, just about poverty and uh, some other issues like that. So uh, they've raised a lot of money. Uh, their goal was to raise about $18,000, and uh, they've been asking family and friends. So uh, if you would feel so uh, led uh, to support uh, what they're doing, your money is not going to uh, them per se, it's going to help World Vision. So uh, they just did this fast over the weekend, and uh, if you have a couple extra dollars in your uh, pockets and purses before you leave, uh, be generous and help these, uh, the youth uh, take care of uh, accomplishing their goal, which is uh, to support World Vision. So, uh, so thanks for coming, guys. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, another thing just to update you guys on, we've been talking a lot about uh, the church plant and uh, where we're headed and directionally. Uh, what we sense the Lord saying, and uh, I don't have an answer for you tonight. Uh, my hope is either next Sunday or the following Sunday, uh, I'll be able to 
uh, give you uh, a better sense of what uh, God has been speaking uh, to us. And when I say us, I'm referring to the elders, uh, myself and the elders of Hope Christian Church. So uh, we've been in a six-month process, uh, discernment process, and oddly enough, uh, this is the March 1st. That marks the end of six months uh, tonight. So uh, one thing I do want to report to you, many of you guys knew that I personally, as well as Kyla, have been going through uh, an assessment process to even find out if uh, uh, I have a call on my life to be a church planner, if I am equipped uh, with, uh, with those skills needed uh, to be a church planner. And I've been working with an organization called Acts 29 over the past, uh, really about six months actually, and uh, took a group of men with me to North Carolina a few weeks back to a church planning boot camp. And at that boot camp went through a pretty intense uh, uh, assessment process where they asked lots of personal questions and since my wife was right there I had to tell the truth um, so anyways uh, I just found out earlier this week that I've uh, made it through the assessment process and uh, myself as well as Genesis would be uh, welcomed into the Acts 29 network which is pretty exciting uh, for me but also more than just me uh, it's very exciting for our community if God calls us to church plant uh, this is a network uh, that I personally uh, would be uh, overjoyed to be in relationship with because uh, their sole mission uh, is to plant churches that will plant churches that will plant churches. They have an incredible heart for the gospel, and uh, one of the incredible opportunities we have as a, uh, as a community here called Genesis is we would be the second church uh, in Acts 29 uh, in the network in the entire state of Massachusetts. Uh, so Acts 29 is making a lot of noise out west, uh, specifically the Pacific Northwest and uh, places in the Midwest, but uh, there's not much happening very specifically in New England, especially Massachusetts. So our community here would have an opportunity to partner with about 300 other churches uh, nationwide uh, to be a church that would plant churches, that would plant churches, and so on. So um, thank you for praying uh, for me personally, and um, that's pretty exciting news for us as well. Um, last week we prayed for a church called Exodus, oddly enough, and uh, today, in Charlotte, North Carolina, I got uh, a word from them that uh, their very first church service, they've been planning and preparing and implementing for the better part of a year, and today was their very first service, and um, it snowed in Charlotte, like two inches, and the whole city shuts down. It was like freaking out, like, oh my goodness, what is this white stuff falling from the sky? Uh, and they didn't know what to do, but they still held their very first service today. And uh, there was 88 uh, adults and 30 uh, young people, uh, which is an incredible uh, community to start out with. This was door-to-door -door invitations of, we're starting a brand new church, would love to have you part of that. So uh, praise God for uh, what he did down in Charlotte uh, today. And um, I'm excited to keep talking to you guys about what God's doing with us and his call uh, on our community. So if you haven't been thinking about it or praying about it, uh, go after it this week. Uh, be praying about, God, if this thing goes, meaning if you call this community uh, and raise this community up to be a church that would plant churches, that would plant churches, uh, would you want me to partner? Would you want me to step into that opportunity to be part of a community like that? Um, and hopefully next week or the week after, I'll be able to tell you directionally where we're headed. So um, that's a few things to share with you. If you're new to Genesis, you might be like, wow, that was a lot. Um, you can talk to me afterwards or talk to the person who brought you, and they can uh, share a little bit about what we are about as a community. But the thing I'll tell you the most is we're a community who's uh, relentless, that we love Jesus, and we want you to love Jesus, 
and uh, because Jesus cares and Jesus can transform lives. Uh, last week, um, we've been going through a series called Jesus. We're walking through the story, um, the gospel of Mark. And last week, I brought a question to you, and tonight's going to be part two. And the question was, does God care? Uh, because how you answer that question uh, will certainly impact how you relate with God and how you, and how you relate with other people. So last week was, was part one, and I introduced you to uh, a man who had no name, uh, but he was a man who was literally tormented. He was possessed uh, by demons, and he meets Jesus. But before he meets Jesus, this is, I just wanted to recap, um, introduce you to this guy if you weren't here last week. This is his life before he meets Jesus. This is Mark chapter 5, verse 3. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore meaning tame him, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. And then he has this amazing interaction with Jesus. And I raised this question last week, how many times do you think this man a man who is alive but yet living among the dead, a man who night and day is screaming and crying out, uh, desperate to deal with his inner pain by cutting himself with stones. How many times do you think he asks that question, God, don't you care? Because if you do, why am I in this mess? Why am I in this condition? And then he meets Jesus, and he discovers the answer that, yeah, God does care, and it shows up in Jesus. And as soon as he meets Jesus... Uh, Jesus does something amazing. He sets him free. Uh, and I wanted just to read um, uh, the verse um, right after Jesus uh, had been set free in verse 15. Uh, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, meaning calm. In, he was in, at peace, in control of himself. Sitting there, he was dressed. His dignity was restored. And he was in his right mind. One word spoken with Jesus and this guy's life was forever changed. Uh, tonight, we're going to continue on in uh, Mark chapter 5 uh, with two additional stories. Um, but the heart of uh, tonight, again, is going to be to ask this question, uh, does God care? Does God care? I don't know if you've thought about that at all this week, uh, but I'll reintroduce it to you tonight. Does God care? Not just about humanity in general, but you personally. Very interesting, the two stories we're going to look at tonight are polar opposites. Like ends, uh, totally other ends of the spectrum. One is a man, one is a woman. The other socially in a different place, economically in a different place, spiritually in a different place. We have these two contrasting stories, polar opposites, which raises some other questions that I want you to be thinking about as we go through the story. Does Jesus care only about certain kinds of people? Meaning, will he play favorites? Because you're going to meet someone whose life over here looks totally different than their life over here. One who is more accepted, embraced in culture and society. One who is put down completely, ignored and rejected. So, does Jesus only care about certain kinds of people? Does he care about men more than he does women. In a culture in the first century, women were property. Women were property. 
And there's a lot of women in the 21st century who might not see themselves as property, but they certainly feel that culture uh, looks down upon them more than uh, they look up towards men. So this is an important question. Does Jesus care more about men than he does women? Or another question is, does he care about certain needs over others? Meaning there's like scales of pain. There's scales of suffering. Well, that person is really jacked up, so I'm going to go to him first. Your issues, your problems, your relationships, it's not that big of a deal. So suck it up. You'll figure it out. Does Jesus deal with us in levels of pain? Does he care about uh, certain people's pain more than others? Or does Jesus care what does does Jesus care about what often no one else actually cares about? Like one of the things you're going to see in these two stories, it does not get more personal. Like this is some of the most personal, most intimate issues uh, in these stories that we're going to hear tonight. Um, so does Jesus care about the real personal stuff, the stuff that you don't probably tell other people? I mean, like the, the junk in your life, the, the, the stuff that if you actually confessed or told someone else about, you would be so afraid to actually tell them because of just the shame or the guilt or the, feel or the fear. You would be rejected or ridiculed. You wouldn't be accepted. They would look at you and, and you're a freak. I can't believe you have that or do that, have said that, been there. I can't believe your relationship. We all have stuff in our life. That if we're honest, we can't really completely let out in the open for a fear of not being embraced and it not being received. How many people, um, pornography, I'll go after that one. I can't share that I struggle with pornography because if I did, my goodness, what would people think of me? And the addictions that come with that form of sexual sin. How about body image? I can't really share with other women or other people how I really view myself. And I can't certainly talk about the disorders that come with a body image that is uh, very distorted. Or I can't really talk about my depression and all the medications that I'm on because people will, what's wrong with you? You have every reason to be happy, but yet you're so overly medicated. How about just all the fears and the phobias that come with all of the fears that we have, the anxieties and the worries? How about just past pain and all the baggage that comes with that? These are like the personal, intimate stuff that we don't dare share with other people. Does Jesus care about that stuff? Because tonight, these stories, that's where they go. Will he care about the stuff that no one else ultimately cares about? The stuff that you can't really have even talk about with anyone else. For many, um, because we don't have people that we can talk about the real personal, intimate stuff with, uh, we might not be able to talk about it because we can't find someone who actually cares. You might not have someone in your life that would care enough just to even listen. Or a second thought might be, well, even if they did listen, there's nothing that they could actually do about that. So rather than share what's our life is, what's really happening in our life, what do we do? We create masks. We'd rather have the appearance that we have it all together than actually come out and say, this is who I really am. This is 
really where I'm hurting. These are really my pain. This is really my issues. These are my addictions. So we create masks in hopes that we can fake people out and just have the appearance that we're doing really well. Because maybe no one's going to listen, and if they did listen, who can ultimately really do something about whatever the issue, uh, the pain, the hurt, the suffering might be. And for those of you who struggle with wearing masks, it, it leaks over into our spiritual life where we start wearing masks in front of God. Which if you think about it, it's just kind of silly because we can't, we can fake each other out, but at the end of the day, you can't fake God out because he can see through the masks. And there will come a point in time in life, it just doesn't work anymore. The masks break and crack, they don't fit, and um, it just doesn't work. It was painful for me because I was a total mask-wearing individual for the first 25 years of my life. I would have rather kept up appearances than actually come out, so to speak, and say, this is where I'm really at. I'm not going to try to fake you out. I'm not going to try. I'm going to stop faking God out and just say, this is who I am and this is where I'm at. So it's a very important question, does God care? And does he just care about, like, top-level stuff, or does he care about, like, the details, the, really the intimate stuff? So how you answer the question, does God care, it's really a big deal for two reasons. Because if you believe that he doesn't, then you won't come to him. If you have a conviction that God doesn't care about all of you, not just parts of you, but all of you, if you believe he doesn't care, you won't come to him. But if you do believe that God cares then all of you will come to him all of the time. Why? Because he cares. There's nothing that I can't come to him with. There's nothing that I can't say to him that would shock him, that would cause him to run away, that would ever cause him to respond and be like, are you serious? What, what's wrong with you? That would never happen. So if you have a core conviction, an answer that is firm, unshakable, that God cares all of me can come to God all of the time with no matter what my issues, my stuff, my sin might be. I want to read uh, the two stories in their entirety. And uh, I want you to get in story mindset. So listen to the details of the story. Mark is such a great storyteller. This is just rich with imagery and it is so personal. Like this is getting into the deepest parts of two individuals, individual lives and, uh, and their pain. This is Mark chapter 5. Um, I'm going to pick up at uh, verse 21. Before I do that, let me pray. God, I thank you that um, you do care. God, I, I thank you that uh, because you do care, I can come to you. All of us, everyone in this room can come to you with all of who we are, all of the time. Father, tonight I pray that uh, as we would look at your scriptures, your story, that it would engage our hearts, it would engage our minds. And Father, if there is one individual, if not more, that does not have a conviction that you are a God who cares, that you're not a God who is indifferent, God, I pray that uh, there would be decisions made to declare that God cares, that Jesus cares. And because of that, we would come to you, all of us, so, Father, I pray as we read these stories, they would be rich and so alive, and they would speak to our hearts and our minds and our souls. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus had again crossed over 
by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed on him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, and she fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Halitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave her strict orders to to not let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Two stories. A man and his daughter, sick and dying, and a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Who is this guy, Jairus? Mark tells us in the story that he's a synagogue ruler, which means he just basically officiates, he takes care of services, takes care of the building, actually at the synagogue. By fact that he's a synagogue ruler or a leader, 
means there's some of his friends, some of his associates have already set in their minds and hearts, we're going to kill Jesus. We don't like him. But yet this guy demonstrates courage and says, I don't know where else to go. So I'm going to go find this person, Jesus. When he comes to Jesus, he demonstrates three things, at least that I see. Humility. He sees him, he falls at his feet. He has a sense of desperation. The verse, when he, he pleads earnestly with Jesus. Why is he pleading earnestly? Simply, his daughter is dying. For those of you who are fathers or mothers and have children, is there anything you would not do or say to help your child if they were sick and dying? There's not, this man was completely desperate. He's not only humble on the ground, he's begging and pleading with Jesus, will you please come? My child is dying. This is not a cold. This is not a flu. She is dying. You ever seen a desperate person? I remember when I was at uh, the mall recently having lunch with somebody, and all of a sudden I'm sitting in the food court over at the Burlington Mall, and I hear this woman screaming at the top of her lungs. I've never heard a woman scream like this. And everyone stood up to find out what was happening. And she was screaming the name of her little girl. And no clue where she was. She was not being calm. She was not being reserved. She was not worried about what she looked like. She wasn't going to be walking around all stately. Well, you know, whatever the little girl's name was. She didn't care. Why? Because she was desperate. Why? Her little girl was lost. This is Jarius. He's already humble at the feet of Jesus, and he's got a sense of desperation. Verse 23, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. He's got a sense of desperation, but it is coupled with a conviction. He is utterly convinced that if Jesus would just show up, touch his daughter, she will be healed same word for saved here. She will be healed and she will live. If Jesus will just come. He's utterly convinced. Two questions for you. When's the last time you were desperate about something? Like, it could have been maybe future plans. You were just desperate. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Maybe you were desperate about a relationship you have. This is just going nowhere. This is so broken. It's not working anymore. Maybe it's over certain addictions that you have. I've been doing this ever since I was 10 years old. I'm now 20. I'm now 30. I'm now 50. When's the last time you had a sense of desperation? Get in your mind when you actually felt a sense of desperation most recently. And then the follow-up question is, what did you do? When you hit desperation, where did you go or to whom did you go? Did you go to, I don't know, the self-help aisles? Did you flip on Oprah, Dr. Phil? Where did you go when you hit desperation? To whom did you turn? Or did you just hit bottom, like further despair, loss of hope? Or to those, some might say, I went straight to Jesus. Well, if it was Jesus, 
when you did go to Jesus, how much confidence did you have? Like conviction did you have when you approached him? He might do this. Maybe. If he's having a good day, if I've been a good person, like maybe Jesus will show up. Maybe Jesus will do something. Like what I love about Jairus is he was convinced, convicted to his core. If Jesus just shows up, that's it. She will be healed. She will live. If I am utterly convinced that Jesus cares. I want you to catch this. If I, if I really believe that, the core of who I am, that Jesus cares, then I will approach him first, not last, and I will have a confidence that he will be the answer. That all stems from this belief that Jesus cares, so I go to him first, not last. It stems from a conviction that because he cares... He is the answer no matter what the problem might be, no matter what the suffering might be, no matter what the pain might be, no matter the relational condition. Whatever it is, he is the answer for anything and for everything. Why? Because he cares. Jesus responds to Jairus. Love this. Very simple. So Jesus went with him. There was like no conversation. There was no delay. There was no questions. There was no interrogation. There was no... So first let me ask you a few questions, Jairus. What kind of man are you? Are you a good father? Have you prayed today? Did you read the Old Testament? Have you been generous? Have you been kind? It just says simply, so Jesus went with him. There's just something he saw in Jairus. Maybe it was his humility. Maybe it was the desperation. Maybe it was a conviction. Maybe it was he saw seeds of faith that was visible to Jesus, and so Jesus went. A visible faith. I'm not sure if there's actually any other kind of faith. Because faith is visible. You can see it. And so Jesus goes. Now there's a break in the story. This happens in my house a lot when, with Kyla. I'm always telling a story, and then I switch gears, and she's like, Michael, focus, ADD boy. I'm here. Stay on track. Tell the story. Don't, don't, don't tell that story. Finish this story. She doesn't know that it's not really ADD. It's just I'm a really good storyteller, and I'm trying to build anticipation that's what Mark is doing. He's a great storyteller. So he breaks his story and he introduces us to a new character. So we've got Jairus. We've got a sick and dying girl and Jesus is on his way. And so we're all thinking, well, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is Jesus stops. There's a delay. There's a pause. What's he pausing for? There's urgency. There's an emergency. There's a 12-year-old girl who's about to die, Jesus. Get up and go. But he introduces us to a woman. And interesting, we don't know the woman's name, but what we know about this woman is she has been bleeding for 12 years. I said this gets personal. It doesn't get more personal and intimate for a woman. This is a never-ending menstruating cycle. Okay? I'm a guy. I don't get these things, right? But I'm married to a woman. She tells me it's not a really a great time of the month. It's not something that she actually looks forward to. So if you're a woman, you know the cramps, you know the pain, the discomfort, the hormones, the moods, the tears. Imagine if that didn't stop for 12 years. Okay, I'm not talking about like six weeks. Uh, forget six weeks, two weeks. Like when is this going to end? This was her condition 
not for like 12 days, not for 12 months, for 12 years. Now the world knows about her most personal, intimate problem. When I say the world, I mean at the time, the crowds there. I can't imagine, not because I'm a guy, but I can't imagine the pain that this woman had lived with for 12 years. Here's a question. How desperate would you be? After 12 years, a non-stop blood flow, how desperate would you be? Mark 5, verse 26 says, She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She's got an emotional pain. She is in a state of continual being unclean, meaning she was a leper in the day. Anyone who touched her, anyone who sat on the same chair that she sat on, anyone who sat on the same bed that she would sit on or lie down on, Anyone who had any contact with her would be considered unclean. They would have to take their clothes off, burn them, sit outside town for a period of seven days. Okay, this woman was completely shunned by, because of her disease. Think about the emotional pain that would go with that. No one wants to talk to you. No one wants you to touch them. Your disease will come upon them. There is a physical pain. It said she's getting worse. Okay? Can you relate that? Have you ever been to a doctor and you're like, it's just not working? Like when I had a really messed up back last year, I saw a few different doctors and physical therapists. I'm like, it's just not working. And they kept telling, well, because you're not listening and doing the exercise. I'm like, well, you're blaming me? But it's frustrating when it's like, it's just not working. I can't imagine physically speaking her after 12 years just getting worse. This is going to sound uh, insane. Okay, they didn't have house there back in the day. Who would have figured this thing out like on the spot? Okay, their medical practices were weird. Okay? This was the traditions of the day. They would do five things. If a woman had a constant blood flow, these are the steps that they would take her through. You'll start to get and understand why she was getting worse. First one, this is what they would do first. They would give her three onions, boil it in wine, make her drink it. While she's drinking it, someone would say, cease your discharge. If that did not work, they'd move on to step two. She would sit at the crossroads holding a cup of wine, and someone would come up behind her and try to frighten her, try to scare her, and shout at her, cease your discharge. If you wonder where we get this idea of, like, if you freak someone out, scare them, their hiccups will go away, right there. If that didn't happen to work, they would give her a bunch of uh, different spices from saffron and fenugreek, which some seeds and leaves. They would boil it in wine. They would make her drink it while someone says, cease your discharge. If that didn't work, step four, 60 pieces of sealing clay of a wine vessel would be smeared on her. After it was smeared on her, someone would say, cease your discharge. By the way, she's paying for all of these things as she goes. Step five. This is the freaky one. House would probably try this, but barley grain from the dung of a white mule. 
That means, you know what it means. Barley grain from the dung of a white mule. She would eat it. If she did not vomit after one day, her discharge would stop for one day. If she was able not to vomit for two days straight, then her discharge would cease for two days. If after three days her, uh, she did not vomit um, the donkey stuff up, then it was thought that she would be uh, miraculously healed. So you now have maybe a better understanding of why she was getting worse. Not only financially was she having to pay for all of this, but if you can imagine the torment of having to go through all of these different practices and none of them were helping. So we've got a emotional pain, we've got a physical pain, we've got a psychological pain. Imagine the state of continually being disappointed. Nothing I do helps. We've got now financial, as I've mentioned. She's out of money. And then we've got the spiritual component. How many times do you think this woman asked herself, don't you care, God? Like, seriously, God, don't you care about my condition? Don't you care about my great suffering? How many times do you think she asked that question? Now, if you are her, male or female here tonight in the room, how are you feeling about life right about now? If this is you, you feel like, wow, <laughs> I, I'm like, I can't stop singing. I wake up in the morning rejoicing. Or do you think you would have achieved or reached a place of just being miserable? A place of just being frustrated, sad, lonely, angry, hurt, and just utter despair. Well, what I love about this woman, like Jairus, she's convinced. If I just touch the hem of his robe, I would be healed. Now, this is a bit superstitious. Popular belief of the day thought that holy men, their robes would like discharge power from them if you just touch the hem of the robe. So this lady has a little bit superstition mixed in with some faith of if I just go to Jesus, if I just touch his robe, I'd be better. I would be healed. My suffering would stop. Mark 5, 27, 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. For 12 years, she'd felt the constant flow of blood. In one moment, in one conviction, in one touch, she no longer feels a flow of blood, but she feels the flow of the power of God in her life for the first time. I can't imagine what that must have been like for her. 12 years of one certain kind of flow that left her on so many levels suffering. In one moment, one touch, one Jesus, and her suffering, she is freed from it. Freedom, transformation in an instant. In Jesus' response, he realized something happened, so Jesus asks the question, who touched me? And his disciples are thinking, well, that's a really bad question, Jesus, because you're in the midst of a crowd, so please spare us these silly questions. There are certain people who are just spiritually not aware like these disciples saw the emergency and the urgency was with Jairus. Jesus is a man who is spiritually and sensitive. He's just aware all the time. The disciples were not. And so they're like, Jesus, seriously? 
and Jesus ignores them, and he starts panning the crowd. Somebody touched me. Who is it? And he starts looking around. for. He knows that someone has touched him. And finally, this woman, as Mark says, in fear, comes to the feet of Jesus. And she tells Jesus, it was me. She tells him the whole truth, meaning her story, her ordeal, what she had been through. Like, if it was you, how many of you would have been like, oh, it was me. I'm like, revealed yourself right away. I don't think many of us would, if any of us. Like, why is this woman so afraid? Well, she may have just felt guilt for violating purity regulations. She's just rendered Jesus now unclean. Why? Because she touched him. Maybe she's fearful because of that. Maybe she feels guilty that she took power from Jesus without asking. Maybe she just feels that he's going to be really mad. He's actually going to scold me. He's going to shame me in front of all of these crowds. As if I haven't endured enough, now Jesus is going to come down and scold me for the very thing I've done. I was thinking about this question a lot this week of, why does he even ask? Like, just let her go, right? As if she hasn't endured enough. Like, why do you have to make a spectacle of her now? Now you've got her at your feet, crying, in fear, trembling, telling her her whole story for everyone in the crowd to hear. I've been bleeding for 12 years. My life has been this, this, and this. It's a mess. Why does he make her go through all of that? And the best answer I can come up with is he's not going to allow this woman to believe that she was magically cured. Listen to what he says in verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you or saved you. Same word. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. If this woman, if she had been wondering, does Jesus care? Do you think she has an answer now? Like if she's wondering, does God care about me, my pain, and my suffering? I'm pretty confident she would say yes. She would say yes. And I'd love, rather than bolting, she comes to Jesus she hears the voice now of Jesus in her life, not condemning, but commending her. Okay, this is kind of cool. There's only one place in four Gospels where Jesus refers to a woman as daughter. Do you know where it's at? We just read it. Of anyone who needed to hear just a word of comfort, someone to, maybe her father, her parents had rejected her. Maybe she had no husband. It's a good chance she didn't. Of anyone who needed to hear the words, daughter, it was this woman. And she is the only woman who hears those words from Jesus spoken to her. If she would have bolted, she would have not heard Jesus say that. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And then Jesus tells her the truth. It was her faith coupled with the object of her faith, meaning Jesus, that released the power of God in her life. And then I love this. He gives her an exhortation. Now go. Go in peace. Go in freedom. No more suffering. You will not be marked by pain anymore. You will not be marked by suffering anymore. You are freed. Your faith has brought transformation in your life. Peace and salvation. One of the most um, 
Not outside of really sitting with uh, this story this week, the past couple weeks, uh, I've never really sat with this woman and tried to, as best as I can, get my head in my heart and her head in her heart. And I see this woman is incredibly courageous. She took a risk of even coming into public, into the crowds, and said, I just have to go. I have to get myself to Jesus. He goes back to the story of Jairus. Now, if you're Jairus, remember your daughter's dying. I can only imagine he's probably having a hard time celebrating the good news in someone else's life when he's just thinking, this is, this is holding us up. This is holding us up. And then he gets the devastating news. If you didn't think it was personal with a woman's menstruating cycle, it's about to get even more personal here. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. I, I can't imagine, I only have one daughter. I can't imagine ever having to hear that news, how devastating that would be. Like, parents are not supposed to bury their children. I don't know where that rule is, but it's somewhere. Parents are not supposed to bury their children. I cannot imagine the level of pain that this father would now hear. Jarius, your daughter of 12 years of age, she's dead. Leave the teacher alone. Why bother the teacher anymore? I can imagine the frustration of Jairus like, man, I came to Jesus. I got him. He was actually on the way. And this, this distraction, this woman, this is what held up Jesus getting to my daughter. Now my daughter's dead. Jairus gets advice. The messengers, who are really have no tact, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Leave the teacher alone. You would think they could soften the blow a little bit. But they give him the advice of, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's important reference that they refer to Jesus as teacher because these people are thinking, this is beyond his scope. This is beyond his capability. Jesus can't speak into, he can't have power or authority over death. So he gets one piece of advice. Leave him alone, Jairus. It's too late. No hope. She's dead. And then Jesus just says something phenomenal. And this has really sat with me, uh, especially over the last few days. He says to, G or says to Jairus, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, Jarius. Just believe. It's nuanced to say, keep on believing. This is, a, his daughter's dead. What is Jesus asking him to believe in? This is when Jesus should kick into comfort mode, not like challenge mode. Keep on believing, Jarius. What is he asking him to believe in? Do you remember what Jarius told Jesus? He was convinced. He had a conviction Jesus, if you come, if you just touch her, she will be healed. She will live. 
Jesus is taking Jairus back to his own words. Remember, Jairus, what you said. Remember what you believed. Keep trusting that I can do that. Keep trusting that I will do that. Don't let fear of the situation or the circumstance or this new information chase you away from the faith that you have. How many times does that happen for you? For any of us where we have this faith, we trust, we believe, but then the situation changes, the circumstance changes. And like shifting winds, when something goes bad, our faith goes down the tubes. It's situational faith. When things are good, my faith is good. But when I'm getting rocked, when life is hammering me, Jesus' words, keep believing. Don't be afraid. You've heard that the story ends like this, but Jerry's, I have a different ending in mind. You said yourself, if I just touched her, she would be healed and she would live. Thankfully, Jerry's follows the advice of Jesus. And when he arrives, it's this very loud, obnoxious scene taking place. First century, if someone dies, the funeral doesn't wait like three or four days for family to fly into town. When someone dies, the funeral happens that day. And typically, uh, what families would do is they would hire people who would be mourners. Meaning they would want people to come and weep loudly. Make a scene to let the town know that someone has died. So that's when Jesus comes into town. He says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. How is it someone who's got such genuine wailing and moaning and crying in one instance starts, <laughs> what? Okay, these are hired hands here. So this is not like genuine tears. And so Jesus kicks them all out. He says, get out of here. Those of you who are laughing, you will miss the miracle that is about to take place here in this house. And so Jesus calls for his three disciples and he calls for the mom and the dad. I love this. Verse 41 through 43, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means in Aramaic, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, immediately the girl stood up and walked around 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. The word astonished here means their minds were blown. They could not believe a spoken word and the touch of a hand. And their little girl who was dead is now sitting up. And I love that he speaks in Aramaic here, this phrase. This is no like hocus pocus, pocus type of like people are like, well, what did he say? Maybe I could try that and... Like, the power was not found in the words that were spoken. It was found in the one who spoke the word. It was such a simple phrase. The Aramaic, the actual Aramaic is little lamb. Little helpless one. Stand. I say to you, get up. 
Three stories, one question. The three stories, last week we looked at this demoniac. This guy was tormented. Tonight we looked at two stories. The story really of a, a father and his daughter. And we looked at the story of a woman who was suffering. And her suffering was made so public. Something so personal made so public. Does God care? If you answer no to this question, then you won't go to him. I promise you, you will not. If there is anything in you that says God does not care, he is indifferent, you won't go to him. But if you could come to a place tonight, and I realize some of you maybe have been in church your whole life and some are here for the first time. I guarantee if you are convicted to your soul, have a conviction that my God cares, then at no point in time will you not go to him. Big or small and everything in the middle. Why? Because God cares. Think about it this way. If you really believe that God cares about you, your life, your situation, your circumstances, your soul, if you really believe that God cares, there would be no need to wear masks. Why? Because God cares. I don't have to appear. I can just be. If you believe that God cares, there would be no room for things like anxiety or worry or fear. Why? Because God cares. The situation might look grim. Bleeding for 12 years, that's grim. Death, that's grim. But because God cares... I can trust that. No reason for fear. Why? Because he cares. And if we believe that Jesus cares, if God cares, if we're convicted to just the deepest part of who we are, I can completely trust him, including things like his timing. Do you think there was a point in time where Jarius and his wife were like, you know, Jesus, if you would have showed up like 30 minutes earlier, this whole thing wouldn't have happened. Like, when you believe that God cares, he might not come on your timetable. But you can, because he cares, you know that he will come. And if there's a time where you sense there's absence, that's a good absence. That might be hard to hear, but if you're convicted to your soul that he cares, then you know and trust and have confidence that he knows exactly where you are. And he knows exactly where you need to be. If you believe that he cares, then you can trust him completely. Meaning when situations and circumstances change, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he cares. You might not be in the situation or the circumstance you want to be, but let me just say it like this. God is more concerned and cares about you than your situation or your circumstance. He's not so interested in changing circumstances and situations as he is transforming you. It's easy to say, get me out of this. And God might be saying, you need to stay in that because I'm transforming you. Your personhood, your character. Why? So you look more like Jesus. I know I've been asking this question so much over the last two weeks. And I ask it one more time and I let it lie. 
Do you believe that God cares? Tonight, as we would finish with some worship and finish by coming and celebrating um, communion together, my heart and my hope has been that these three individuals, these three characters would confirm, would resolve in your heart and mind that Jesus cares, that Jesus ultimately cares. I would ask that uh, as we just sit for a moment, uh, ponder, pray, consider. What do you need to come to him with? For some, it might well be your life, meaning your soul, meaning your salvation, meaning you're not even in relationship with God. Maybe you start there. That's the starting point for everybody. What do you need to come to him with? Because you believe he cares, then you can come. And you know that you will be embraced, not rejected. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. For those who've already come, have that relationship with God. Have that relationship with Jesus. What is it that you need to come to him with? You know, we talked about in the beginning, that real personal stuff. The personal pain. The busted, broken relationships. The addictions. What is it that you tonight, as you would come to celebrate communion, could come to Jesus with? In a sense of humility, in a sense of desperation, in a sense of conviction, because he cares. Jesus can transform me. Father God, just give thanks for this gospel that we are walking through. I give thanks for these individuals that we've met in Mark chapter 5. And more than anything, Jesus, I give thanks that you care. The man who was tormented by a legion of demons, his story is that you cared. You set him free. I give thanks for Jarius and his little girl that his story is that Jesus, you care. I give thanks that that little girl probably told that story so many times to her friends. A story that Jesus cared. He spoke and he touched and he brought life where there was death. Jesus, I give thanks for this woman who suffered for 12 years. I give thanks that her story is one that you care. Jesus, I pray it would be all of our stories. That we are people who are utterly convinced, have a conviction to the core of who we are, that you care. And because of that, our faith, our trust is in you. And we will come. No masks. As we are. Jesus, if there's anyone here tonight who has not even come to you to begin that relationship, 
I pray for that person that tonight would be the night they make a decision to trust you, Jesus, for their salvation of their soul. If that's you, make that decision now. Cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. And make me the man, the woman that you want me to be. Jesus, I pray for those that have the real personal stuff that they've never even told anyone. And if they have and they experienced a person who just didn't care and could do nothing, God, I pray that we would come to you with that stuff. And tonight, it would be our story that we met a Jesus who cares and transformed us. Just sit for a few minutes with, with the Lord and wherever your heart is, cry out to him. Jesus, I believe you've uh, heard people's prayers, heard their cries. You know their heart. You know their conditions, situations, circumstances. Jesus, I believe with all of who I am that you are a God who cares. And if there's anyone who still struggles to believe that is true, Lord Jesus, I give thanks that we have the cross that you demonstrated to a sinful humanity just how much you do care. That on a Friday, you were beat and battered and bruised, spit upon and mocked. You were bloodied and ultimately nailed to a cross. And you did that to show the world that you are a God who cares. You paid the penalty of our sin. You went to the cross as a substitute for us. I give thanks that the story did not end on the cross, but a new story began on Easter, on the third day when you conquered death, thus conquering sin, thus conquering Satan, thus conquering death. Tonight, as a community, we want to celebrate. We want to give thanks. We want to remember what you have done for each of us. So tonight, as you would come, take a piece of the bread and dip in either the wine or the juice and give thanks. Come to Jesus as you are. He cares. If you've yet to make that decision, let this time pass. But no, it's our hope, it's our desire, everyone in this community and the people that are still yet to come, 
that you would make a decision to give your life to Jesus because he cares. So come, all is ready and have been prepared.
if you guys would stand with me as we close. God, thanks for being a God who cares. Thank you that you are not indifferent towards humanity and you are not indifferent towards each uh, individual in this room. Uh, God, I do pray that uh, this would be a new week uh, for each of us uh, with a core conviction that uh, all of us have as we would leave here uh, that because you care, uh, we will come to you no matter what. No matter what uh, the situation, circumstance might be, we will come uh, because you care. God, give thanks for the opportunity to gather uh, with this community week in and week out. Thank you for the new people that uh, you continue to bring our way. And God, I do pray that uh, you would set this community apart, that you would use us uh, to be a light in this city, in these suburbs where we live. Uh, God, if you would, use this community called Genesis uh, to be a blessing to those around us. Allow this community to be literally the hands and the feet and the heart and the mind of Jesus to a culture that is desperate need of knowing that God cares. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, two things before you leave. Remember, if you can, uh, be generous on the way out the door uh, to our youth who have been uh, uh, fasting, uh, raising money for World Vision. And uh, also, we're going to do this uh, each and every week, but if you're brand new to the Genesis community, uh, we're going to have uh, what we're just going to call a 10-minute party uh, each week after Genesis. So back in that back corner, it, doesn't it look like a party ready to take place? Uh, we're going to have just some food and want you, if you're new, to meet some of the leaders here to help you get connected uh, with what's happening in the community. So if you're brand new, on your way out, grab some food and maybe shake a hand and uh, help us to get to know you. God bless. Peace out. Have a great week.